thinking about DNS as the fact that, hey, I just turn on the water at home and water comes out the pipe. Right. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> okay, how did it actually go there? And how did, what's the distance? And how did all of that happen? No one ever thinks of that, right? Right. You only care when you turn on the faucet, you hear a couple knocks and nothing comes out. You could restore it all. Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I have with me Mr. Hare, persona Mr. Hare. Did, did I tell you, by the way, that I'm growing no. both a beard and long hair? Oh, so, my God. You're going you're gonna to really look like Jesus. Yeah. You so really I've, are with the beard. So the I've hair. been going for, there's this thing called a yeard, which is a year-long beard. So as of today, I'm a bit over six months into it. But you're just going to do it just because. Just because. Shelter in place. I'm home. Might as well. And and how does Mrs. Maliandi feel about this? Uh, I think she's stopped complaining. I don't know if she's happy, <laughs> but at least she stopped complaining. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, I'll have to I'll have to ask her privately <laughs> about what she thinks about that. So uh, we do have a guest this week. Uh, he's been in the industry uh, a little over twenty five years and uh, started as the he started at Blue Cat uh, six years ago as their CTO and recently moved over to be their chief strategy officer. And he also has a podcast called Network Disrupted. Uh, he's available on Twitter at Wirtkin. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, Andrew Wirtkin. Thank you very much. And by the way, I am sporting a new beard as well. Ooh. Is this the first time you've grown or have you grown before? You know, I've always been more of just like stubble. I don't like shaving, but I've grown this thing in and and I've realized that at this late stage in my life, I still can't grow a particularly full beard. So it's actually a little <laughs> depressing, but, but it, it's an attempted beard, I should say. An attempted beard. I recommend beard shampoo and beard oil and brushing it out with a boar hair bristle. That that sounds more painful than shaving. Boar as in like pig? Boar hair? Yeah, that's what they use. Yeah. You can also get hair brushes like that too. Interesting. Boar hair bristle. Yeah. But for the record, I at the at this exact moment, I am 100% clean shaven, having done a video event this morning we had our linkedin live uh episode this morning and i was on camera and so i had to shave you know a couple of weeks worth of uh you know uh stubble um i guess at that point it's no longer stubble but andrew i just have to say don't give up just keep going it'll get better all right yeah yeah well yeah how many weeks are you into it at this point Oh, no, this has been going on months. And so I, I've oh, okay. okay. the other thing, it, it, it's like remarkably gray. And, uh, and that was a little scary, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't like the gray part. I, you know, let's not let's change the subject. Now. All right. Switching topics. Do you want to give our normal disclaimer? Yeah, I'll, I will do that. Uh, so uh, although Prasanna and I both work for Druva and Andrew works for uh, Blue Cat, uh, we are not speaking for our respective companies. We are uh, offering our own opinions on the world. And uh, also, if you like our podcast, please go to ratethispodcast.com slash restore um, and tell the world about how wonderful we are. We just want to feel some love. 
we just we, we need to validation you know validate me please andrew so i i will i'm going to be 100% honest and open here and say that when i was first given the three letter acronym the tla that represents where blue cat falls i was not familiar with that acronym so let's talk first about ddi and what that is yeah, well, the great thing about this acronym DDI, it's an acronym of acronyms. So DDI is DNS, DGP, and IPAM. Uh, DNS and DGP, I'm assuming you're familiar with, and IPAM is uh, IP address management. It, it's not, it, it's, I don't know when this, this acronym was coined, um, and it's not particularly well known in the market. I, I, when we talk, and I talk to customers, when we're going to market, if a company is trying to source DDI, then maybe they've had a DDI platform before. Usually they're coming at this from a, from a DNS perspective, um, but th- there's a lot of power in managing these things together. Uh, what goes wrong from a DNS and DCP standpoint all the time is just, it's completely disconnected from the actual network and, and, and how the network is divided and deployed and routed around the company. And so, it just bringing these things together just makes a whole lot of sense from an overall management standpoint. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly, this day and age, bringing these things together makes a ton of sense from a you know I'm trying to automate my network perspective. Um, and and if I don't have a DDI platform, then I probably have a bunch of administrators working on different stacks, maybe some Windows, some open source, doing some stuff in the cloud. And I don't have a really integrated DNS platform, which makes it very difficult to automate as I'm trying to change stuff faster and faster. Does this also apply? I know you talked about automation, but also do you see it applying for things like corporate governance and making sure best practices are followed or people are doing similar sort of things across the company? Uh, 100%. And in fact, that was, you know, 20 years ago or maybe even longer when this industry really was founded, you know, the, the biggest buyers were large financial companies and others where it was uh, very much a compliance and governance play around change management and everything else. And uh, and that's still a key part of it for sure, um, you know, at its core. But it's, look, th- these are, DNS is, is critical infrastructure. It has to be up. Uh, if, if devices can't resolve addresses, then, you know, bad stuff happens across the enterprise. And so um, there's always been a, a, a heavy level of, of change management and governance on it. But now on the flip side is I've got to change this stuff way faster than I ever have before. So, you know, therefore that governance and change management needs to change in nature. It can't be, you know, a a Six Sigma black belt project manager with, you know, manual steps to go confirm changes were made and and the things of the past. It it, it now just needs to fly through. And and our customers, you know, amazes me um, where some of them had 10 or 20 administrators for a large global enterprise making changes based on like remedy tickets or something mm-hmm. are now seeing thousands and thousands of API calls per hour from thousands of authenticated users. So the entire usage model has, has really shifted over the last few years. So yeah. I was going to just ask, so for people who may not be as familiar with what happens from the operations or the backend side, Right, because usually it's, hey, I spin up a VM and everything just works. Can you kind of walk through a little bit more about really what that entails on the back end from a DDI platform perspective? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, in, in that in that simple use case, I mean, you know, first of all, um, 
when I'm deploying that VM, what network am I deploying that VM on? Does that network I'm deploying it on even have uh, available IP addresses? Does it just have one? Or am I actually going to deploy a series of VMs to, you know, in the same security zone, same network to, to deploy an application and need more than that? So one side, there's just tracking of the networks themselves, their utilization, where they are, what their purposes are, what security zone they're in, all of those sorts of things. So I know I'm deploying this in the right uh, the right place. But but if if my virtual environment uses DHCP and I always want this thing to have the same IP address, I might need to create a reservation for this thing. There might be a very specific DNS route it needs to use. Um, uh, in many cases, you know, the, the owner of that VM wants to be able to update its host information itself. So I need to enable things like dynamic DNS. There's just a whole series of things that need to occur that usually occur during that workflow of deploying a VM through some sort of automation, like you know this VMware is going through vRealize or whatever that platform is named today, and uh, and and you know to do these things automatically. Otherwise, I, I'm I'm literally manually IPing things and hoping I'm not having IP you know resource contention with other things, and and uh, and and nobody will be able to reach it because th there's no DNS information for it. So at, at the very basic level, that stuff needs to happen every single time. Now you multiply that by the thousands of VMs that might be launched every year or destroyed or daily workflows for VMs, and it becomes an unbearable amount of manual work, but also one where there's a tremendous opportunity for doing things incorrectly. That. Um, you know, I, I, I've configured all of those things in very small quantities, but never, never the to the degree that you're talking about, right? Like, so when you talked about, for example, security zone, talk, tell me what that means from a, from a network perspective. Yeah. So I, I mean, depending on the type of, of networking staff, this, this works a bit differently, but at the very, you know, simplest layer, um, uh, not everything and not everything should be able to speak to everything else. And so, you know, I have a specific network and that network might have no internet connectivity because it's only doing internal stuff and it brings upon all sorts of risks if, if uh, egress is allowed to the internet. Or I might have segmented networks that I'm putting my, you know, like uh, HVAC equipment on or, or things that should never talk to anything in the data center or networks for guests or Wi-Fi or whatever the case might be. And so, Segmenting networks allows for you know basic block and tackling of things on certain networks shouldn't be able to speak to things on other networks and if they need to then either there's an exception or it's it's on the wrong network and and um, that level of segmentation can get complicated to maintain over time with traditional networking but there's a lot more availability and capability to manage that in a much more scalable way with the advent of things like VXLAN that sort of comes in like an overlay on top of your physical network. So you can you can you can really start doing that at a very granular level versus the, you know, I'm a guest, I shouldn't be able to get to the data center. I'm not a guest, you know, I'm a corporate employee, so I can get to the data center. That's a very high level. But what you mm -hmm. really want at some point is to get is to layer that segmentation. Um, at more and more abstract levels to the point where you're like, you know, okay, I'm Andrew, I'm allowed to get to that application. So therefore, I should be able to get to that network. But let's do it at an application level as opposed to a, you know, network routing level and, and let the systems that manage this stuff then drive that down appropriately into the networks. 
so do they are you saying at that point that then the network is set up to be wide open and then they let the applications decide to whom can go where or are you saying that those applications pass on that level of yeah, security it's, it's, down to right. those it, it's the latter i mean and, and the, you know if i'm going to establish a true what what these days is called you know zero trust network access then yeah the assumption is nothing's allowed unless explicitly it is allowed and it's going to be allowed based on you're trying to access that application so you're an authenticated user you're on a device we recognize and you have access to that application because of those things you're going to be allowed through and without those things you wouldn't and you know you any of that context shifts context shifts and you're not and that that's that's where the industry is you know the broader industry is trying to go to these days, though, most companies are still relying on on network segmentation that is way less uh, granular than that. But but even at the coarser level is critical. You know, you see a lot of security incidents occur. And, and when you read about it, you're like, but why was the HVAC able to access that network? Like it, <laughs> just, you know, basic blocking and tackling shouldn't yeah. be. And, 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 and then when we get to, to, to cloud, it, it's, you know, most of the, the public cloud environments like AWS and Google and Azure are, are you know, at their basis, um, you know, really work on micro segmentation. So you can easily go in there and write a rule and say everything's allowed to access this. But by and large, um, you can control not just at the protocol and port level, but you can control based on higher level constructs that these things are allowed to speak to each other, which um, can create a management nightmare in, in those scenarios. Um, but but outside of that, it's it's um, sort of built into the way we do things versus the the traditional on-premises network where um, you know unless you are specifically segmenting things or blocking things, then it's it's everything communicate with everything, which is not a good place to start. Now you started off at the beginning saying that people have sometimes like guests versus people in the data center. You should guests can't access things in the data center, and then there's sort of the micro segmentation where you can get into the fine granularity to allow permissions or what you want to allow access to. But those are kind of like two extremes, if you will, right? And do you right. see a lot of customers starting down the micro segmentation? path deciding oh everything's going to be really really fine-grained and then realizing hey this becomes actually really complicated as well yeah well you you run into it first of all yes in short but you run into the the you know the greenfield brownfield problem everything looks good and looks simple to deploy if we didn't have anything today but how <laughs> am i supposed to like reverse engineer today into this platform and then drive down the results of that platform and have it magically match today so that no i don't break anything that that's a scary proposition and so where you see a lot of the advent of these newer capabilities is in um is at the edge you know it, it's okay so we can't we, we can't deploy this today on premises but let's use zero trust for how employees that are outside of our of our perimeter are accessing applications and uh, and use that instead of VPN. Like start somewhere where where um, replacing what's there is simpler and there can be quicker value. Because yeah, that that it, it, it's um it getting from A to B is is hellaciously complicated. Especially you know with with most of our customers or most companies. I mean they've been piling technology on for for decades, right? So 
you know, there, there's yellow tape all over the place. Like <laughs> no, nobody's touched those systems for years. We don't it's know like what they It's like MacGyvering and rubber yeah, exactly. band and yeah. Yeah. sticking things yeah. together. Yeah. It reminds me, yeah. reminds me years ago, I remember I was consulting with a good friend of mine who I know uh, worked or listens to the podcast. So um, they'll, they'll enjoy this story. So years ago, I remember going in and designing it. My, my role was to help design a new backup system and uh, surprise, surprise. And one of the things with backup systems is to understand the, the network topology so that I can know, you know, the, 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 the speeds with which different parts of the system can run. And, uh, so I asked this person, um, you know, for their, their network layout. And he, he had literally no idea. Like he, he was a system administrator who had been there for multiple years. And when, when he asked their network people, uh, they, they literally just had no idea of where all the pieces of spaghetti, you know, connected into. And the, 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 the irony of all of that was that this was actually a telecommunications company. Right. Um, I, I, I won't throw them under the bus as to say which telecommunications company was, but it was a telecommunications company. And we actually, um, this, this option is no longer available, but many years ago, Vizio used to have a network discovery tool where you, you could, it, it cost 10, it was like, it cost $10,000 for this option. And you would, you would plug it like six, maybe it was $6,000. You, you would plug it in, you know, you, you'd plug in Visio, you, you connected it to a windows laptop and then you just let it crawl your network. And it did like ICMP and, and, you know, various other things to figure out. And it did an amazing job of mapping out the network. And I've always wondered what people would do today in the scenario you're describing. How, how do they make sense of the mess in order to move forward from, you know, uh, in a, like you said, in a brownfield situation, how do they figure out what they have if they don't, if they don't know that today? Right. Yeah. Great question. First of all, I mean, a core part of what, what is part of the I or IPAM and DDI is network discovery. So, so we, we do the crawling as well. And, uh, okay. and we crawl, we log into switches, we, you know, we, read routing tables, we listen to routes, we, we, um, we crawl through and do layer two and layer three discovery, and then also uh, interface with, with uh, APIs where you can't do, you, you know, you can't do layer two and layer three discovery on, on AWS, for instance. So there, there's other mechanisms to get that data. So we can go crawl and get that data. And then, um, and we do that with with IP addresses that are used as well. And so we can also then let our customers know that you know there's these networks or IP addresses that you were unaware of that are now routing or exist. Um, you know the 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 um, the what 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 isn't necessarily clear when you're doing that and, and is also though like sometimes you you discover the network and it's bonkers you know like you're like this company has <laughs> like you you wouldn't like the routing is at such a small uh network level and and networks that you'd assume would all be in the same data center because they're all contiguous are are all over the world and and so you know it 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 also can show them how how uh you know their current state 
the network guys usually know that because they're the ones messing with all the routing tables. But but outside of that, yeah, it's um it's a core part of what we do. It's never perfect, and, and the reason I say it's never perfect is because you know you run into um, NAT gateways or you run into mm. um, you know uh, managed WANs with with WAN you know with WAN uh, uh, edge devices that that nobody you know the the service provider is the only one who can log into or configure and so there's and so therefore you need to put a probe over there so it, it's never magic um but but it's 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 useful and, and, our, and our customers definitely use it for just that and uh i never i didn't know vizio ever had something like that this yeah it was this was now again this is uh 20 years ago <laughs> um somewhere in that neighborhood uh and they it was this real, like it, it was a price that most people would look at and go, well, there's no way I'm spending that. But in this case, um, the price was high enough, but the, the customer said, well, this is going to increase the value of, you know, what you're going to do by at least that amount. So they basically, what they did was they paid me a consulting fee. That was the price of the software. And then I went and bought the software because they couldn't, because they couldn't authorize again, big uh, company. They, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they couldn't authorize the purchase of such an expensive piece of software, but they could authorize paying me that amount <laughs> um, yeah. to, to consult on the network design. Yeah. There's also entire industries built around that, that, that sell well. I'm like, sure. you know, we, we do discovery, but there's like, you know, data center inventory management software and other things that uh, are not only discovering networks, but also discovering, what the endpoints are doing and and but 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 sometimes you don't need that stuff like one of the really cool use cases from a dns perspective is we run into this with things like uh you know migrating to cloud what what's communicating with what in the data center or what's communicating with what in, in the company and uh and dns queries are a really good proxy for that uh for sure somebody might have written some software that you know is on two different servers that never anybody imagined might ever move and their hard coding IP addresses. But by and large, if you're using DNS, then you can you can also create a, a flow map of dependencies between different things, which is which is quite interesting. Talked a lot about the IP side of things. Let's talk about DNS, which for, for me has always been a little bit of black magic, right? Um, I mean, I've never configured like I, I've always like I, I went very quickly in my sysadmin days. I very quickly became the backup guy, and then next thing you know, I was the backup specialist, and then I was a backup expert. And I never actually, you know, had to actually administer DNS as a result, right? I, I just gave values to people to <laughs> to put in DNS, right? Uh, so it's always been a little bit of a black magic uh, to me. And so l- let's talk about from a from a security perspective, I hear that DNS is used a lot for attacks. Um, and I'd like to understand a little bit about how that how that takes place. Yeah. Okay, perfect. And there's there's completely separate multiple ways it's it's used. Sometimes it's used like, you know, to launch a DDoS attack because DNS is wonderfully accessible to do that. Um, DNS allows for an amazing amount of amplification. You know, I, I can send 
80 byte queries and, and amplify them to 4K and you know bounce them off of cloud-based resolvers. Um, DNS is is you know it supports UDP and it's it's the majority of DNS traffic today is UDP based. So therefore, I can spoof where this traffic's coming from. Like th there's all sorts of things around DNS that make it a very viable target from a DDoS perspective, and and, and that's what you see over and over and over again. Um, but but it it's 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 more than that. So. Um, what one one part of how it's used is, is just the way the networking works, right? So if, if I'm writing some malware and my intent is for that malware to get instructions from some service that I've launched in the cloud or some service I've launched somewhere, if I hard code that connection to a specific IP address, I've created a very simple way for my backend to be taken down, just block anything to that IP address. I, I've created a system that's not scalable. And, uh, and those that are creating um, uh, you know, this malicious software are, are interested in, in keeping the software up and running as much as possible. So I don't want to hard code IP addresses. Therefore, I'll use DNS and, uh, and I'll use DNS so I can keep changing the IP address and moving my server around or having many, many servers around the world like Google does or any, you know, SaaS based software. Um, and, and therefore I can even load balance or have geographically available endpoints of my command and control software so that the malware can always find it. So DNS is also just used as a chump. You know, it, it, it's part of how how networking works or how applications work, I should say. It's like and, a global uh, lookup, if you will. Yeah, you can you always find or global telephone directory, I should say. <laughs> yeah. And from the perspective of that telephone directory side of it, then you know, you could assume that some endpoint DNS will be available to. And so basically, I'm just going to use DNS the same way somebody would to use any other software to ensure that my malware, is, you know, I, I've got the ability to, to move this endpoint around. It's not hard-coded to an IP address. Of course, somebody can therefore just easily block. And this is part of what, what the DNS vendors do. We offer DNS firewalls and, and, and we provide threat intelligence. And, and so therefore, I, if I know something's bad, I can block it. Well, fantastic. So now I can switch the IP address around, but my DNS uh, you know, name is blocked. So there's a problem. So what, 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 the, what these, these uh, malware these days does or ransomware, whatever the case, is uh, they'll, they'll basically use uh, algorithmically generated domains and, and all sorts of interesting ones. You know, sometimes they're just based on some mathematical formula. It's like, you know, it's like a hard key for, for, for um, you know, like an RSA key or something like that. You know, there, there's, there's some sort of algorithm running on the server side and on the client side and the server's registering domains and making them available. And, uh, and the client is guessing what these domains are. And it's more than a guess because it's running an algorithm. It knows the algorithm. That's actually yeah, very interesting. <laughs> right. And, and, and some of them have been as interesting enough as like, you know, based on the what's trending on Twitter plus, <laughs> plus, plus some sort of hash of today's date. That's the domain, you know. And so so the other thing that we do is, is look for domains that look like they were algorithmically generated. And uh, and so therefore we can guess if if these things are. But there's all sorts of other indicators. Like you know, if I'm a if I'm a if I'm an enterprise, um, let's, let's say I'm in financial uh, services or something like that, um, 
chances are I, I, I'm not doing business with like, you know, Joe's grill shop dot biz. And, uh, and, and so, you know, you, you, and you don't expect to see a lot of communication with, with Joe's grill shop dot biz, e even though it's probably a viable business, but it's probably running. I hope there's not actually a Joe's grill shop. Dot biz. <laughs> uh, I just verified <laughs> it and there is not, there, okay, good, there is not, good. at least not currently a Joe's grill shop dot biz. Good. Got so it. You're, not hurting, you're not hurting anybody's business. <laughs> right. But, but Joe probably has WordPress and Joe probably isn't keeping up with vulnerabilities on the WordPress side. And Joe probably doesn't realize, but his, his, his WordPress site is serving command and control because, you know, there's instructions in comments on blogs or other vulnerabilities are, are being uh, utilized. And so, so you see a lot of connections to those sorts of places and, and, you know, and it ends up that some TLDs like, you know, dot biz being one, um, dot info being another, some of them are hellacious, like over 90% of the domains registered and actually active on that TLD either represent like spam or malware or something bad. And, and TLD uh, stands for top level domain. Yeah, right. So that's the dot biz yeah. or the, and there, there's, there's country code TLDs, uh, like, you know, dot CA here in, in Canada. And, and then there's the, the, the original TLDs, .com, .edu, .gov, um, .org, and then there's all these new ones that are coming out all over the place, and and those are the ones that well, it, it's funny, you know, um, a couple of countries like Oman who has .om, and I think Cameroon who has .cm. There's a lot of uh, type typo squatting domains sitting there, like you know where where you're hoping somebody goes to valid business domain.cm instead of com just as a typo and they'll they'll put back end uh you know uh malware things that can be downloaded there you know so typo squatting is a big thing in the dns side as well um so regardless that's that's the second way and then the the third way dns can be used in threats is that there's specific dns threat vectors like uh dns tunneling and, and in that case um you know dns is 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 a, a mechanism for a client to ask a question and get an answer and therefore it's communication. And so I can embed instructions, for instance, if it's command and control in that conversation, I can have something running that just sends out a DNS query every hour saying, should I do something? Should I do something? And the DNS answer that comes back could be, yeah, execute this script and it can provide that script. And it can do that all through DNS because DNS doesn't just return IP addresses, it returns text records and other arbitrary information that can be used. So the entire so, conversation can happen over DNS. So, uh, uh, okay, so first off, I followed most of everything you said for the past few <laughs> right. minutes. There's definitely, there's definitely a few places where I got a little lost. But right. let, let me, so there's a couple of things. So one is I, I do want to, um, th there you you like a lot of technical people and i'm guilty of this as well you do throw out a few acronyms that we should at least pause for a moment you yeah. we, we did define the uh the tld top level domain just remember not everybody is is you know is at the same level ddos uh distributed denial of service attack uh th there was that there was another one that and, um, popped up in there command and control. Command, yeah talk about command and control what exactly is that yeah, so command and control is basically, you know, uh, a lot of people think of, um, uh, you know, a virus that might get installed on your computer is doing something just locally there. 
but many, many malware ransomware these days um, get their instructions of what to do from some backend software that's not running on your laptop or phone or okay. wherever you've downloaded okay. this thing. And, and, and the, that is providing command and control. Uh, all of these, you know, come from military, but it's providing command and control for the thing running on your laptop. Gotcha. And, and following this whole, the, 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 there was this part where you were talking about that DNS could be used to actually provide timely instructions to malware. And, and this is the part where I, where I got a little, th- this is the part where DNS is a little bit, uh, black magic. What I've, the, the thing with DNS is how um, distributed it is and how, um, like, you know, we, we were talking last week that I, I think of DNS as, a, as a, um, an eventually consistent database, right? So I'm curious how, because it can take a while to push out a given DNS update. So I, I'm curious as to how this malware would be able to receive timely fresh instructions from something that is updated in such a eventually consistent manner. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. It's updated in an eventually consistent manner for things that exist. So for instance, you're running a website um, and, uh, and you want, you're going to change the, uh, the DNS record associated with that website. Well, great. That's been cached by all over the world by all these resolvers, and, and the way DNS works is there's an authority that actually yeah. is knows what the answer is and authoritative for that answer. And then, in order to speed up the process of DNS, there's all these resolvers out there that cache the answer, and, and they're told uh, by a time to live parameter how long they should cache the answer for. And, and so, if that is set for a day, then then it's going to take a day to propagate those changes. However, when you look at what they're doing from command and control perspective, every time they ask a question, they change the record they're looking for. So it doesn't exist oh. in any cache in any resolver. It always goes back to the authority. I constantly, and so I can basically embed the question or embed my status or embed some information just by you know hashing or, or in, in, in some way embedding that into the host record I'm actually looking for. So my backend domain is whatever. We'll stick with Joe's Grill Shop because we know that doesn't exist. So Joe's Grill Shop <laughs> is. And, and if I query for AA13FBC9. You know, Joe's Grill Shop.biz, well, next time I'm that, that host record is going to change. And therefore, it's always consistent because that is going to go all the way back to the authority because it's never been asked before. The authority, gotcha. the authority isn't sitting some standard DNS server with zone files where I, I know what the answer to that is. The authority sees that, interprets it, and then replies. And it might reply with, uh, with different types of information. Yeah. So this is where you were talking about how that they, they, they can create domain names based on a number of factors, which you said could be anything from a hash of today's date and things like that. That's what you were saying earlier, right? Yeah. And that way I can keep avoiding my domains being blocked because they keep changing and it is. And it's just, yeah. And at the same time on the recipient end of that, you can, since you're the one, you're the, you're the, 
the bad actor, you're the one who created this algorithm, if you will. So you, you can anticipate what the weird domain name is going to be. You got yeah. it. And, yeah, and okay. you can use and you can use the lovely APIs provided to register those. And and you can do that on the cheap with TLDs that are inexpensive. And um, and, you know, it, it's uh, it's not a particularly difficult problem to solve. Um, now, uh, the, the more the more well-known TLDs, the dot coms, for instance, it's not that this doesn't happen on there. They are more expensive to register, but also the registrars are trying to um, ensure that that those TLDs are not being used for bad, where other TLDs don't care, you know, or seemingly oh, look like they're facilitating the it. Yeah, you got it. You got it. So hmm. so um so you end up having you end up having a lot of uh, like um, you know dot top is a good example of a I, I wouldn't trust anything that went to sorry whoever runs and registers dot top um <laughs> sorry I, 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 I yeah I, I i see a i see enough um uh you know threat vectors that include a domain indicator to dot top that i just uh i would avoid it and, and if i were a viable business i wouldn't register a domain on dot top interesting um and and you know it, I remember back in the good old days, uh, you know, when we had just had like three, right? Uh, it was like right. .com, .org, and .gov. Yeah. Oh, yeah, .net. Yeah, .net was. Yeah, .net, .edu, .gov. Yeah, those were. Oh, yeah, .edu. I forgot about .edu. How could I forget that? So so that was talking about, that first part was talking about using DNS as a way for malware to communicate. That I First off, that's fascinating. Never really thought about that. What about you started talking about, I, I think, <laughs> because like I said, I was doing my best to follow. Um, you started talking about how, how how can I use DNS to, is there a way to use DNS to somehow create an in to, to, to somehow disrupt a company rather, rather than I get, I, I, I totally understand this using it with the command and control, but is there a way because of the caching ways of DNS, is there a way to somehow uh, spoof, for example, um, so that my website, my fake website can pretend to be your valid website? Is there a way to use DNS to or do Or like that? kind of DNS hijacking maybe is what you're thinking? Yeah, yeah so something, something right. like that. So that's along the lines of DNS hijacking where, yeah, so for sure, um, you know, I can, uh, if I'm going to man in the middle, if I'm going to pretend I'm you or, you know, at least in some way, shape or form, fake the users of your website and, and have them go to mine. Yeah, if I, if I can change your DNS records, uh, that, that'd be great. And we've seen a lot of that. And, and that's why, um, you know, if, 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 you're, if, if your domain registrar doesn't offer things like two-factor authentication, switch registrars like make sure nobody can break in because if they're changing at the actual authority like at your domain registrar then um you've got problems um however uh you know a lot of that happens with things like cash poisoning that has become harder it's become harder because as these problems were found harder, harder by harder to do it bad or harder to fix it 
harder to do it bad, harder to take okay. advantage of things like hash poisoning okay. because changes have been made to DNS over the years to make that a more complicated process. Uh, that doesn't mean it still doesn't happen. Um, but but regardless, um, because of the distributed nature of DNS, um, it, it, it becomes possible. There's something called DNSSEC. Uh, so DNS, DNS can be, uh, DNS zones can be signed such that the client, whoever's looking up this DNS record because you're trying to go to that website, can uh, trust the answer. Um, and that system is, is uh, DNSSEC is, is, it works quite well, but it's much maligned because of the additional perceived administrative overhead to deploy it. And then even if it's deployed, even if you signed your zones so that people can trust that's the right answer, that's the answer that you're authoritative for, they still need to validate that. And a lot of companies and certainly home users don't have, you know, DNSSEC validation turned on in their, you know, home Wi-Fi gateway or router, you know, and so so that system is 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 definitely not an, uh, it 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 provides an incredible benefit. It's not used enough, and and uh, you know for it to solve that problem altogether. But it has it has become harder um, for a variety of different reasons, not just DNSSEC to do that. But yeah, DNS hijacking is still a big thing, and it's still happening uh, quite often. And um, uh, you know, and and it, it can be prevented though. Yeah, because I'd heard issues of hijacking in the past, and I guess now a lot of the popular domain names do have additional security checks in place to make sure that their domains don't get hijacked, like Google.com or other things like that, to make sure they're more secure. Because, yeah, if someone takes over Apple.com or Google.com, people might be hosed. (laughs) Right. But, But, of course, you know... They're also, you would hope, only providing their content over, uh, you know, TLS and, um, and therefore, you know, your, your, and DNS provide is a big part of that process. So, you know, if I stole www.apple.com, I can't launch a website that uses their certificate, right? I mean, there's, there's, there's other checks and balances, but yeah, like that, that's, but but there's look it happens all the time because of it's it's viable to hijack DNS especially if you can change the authoritative records and not every company has the right hygiene in terms of how they do things like manage certificates and it becomes too easy um, to to for a variety of different reasons to to create certificates in some cases. Um, and, and that's what's happened with, with, you know, if I can break into your DNS and I can point something to a host, then I can get a, you know, a, a certificate that's valid for that host. Um, and so there's a whole other industry out there of, you know, certificate management and, and polling for these, these certificates out there. It, it gets super complex. My point is, step one, if your DNS is locked down, it's harder to do any of these other things. So how, how does a company like Blue Cat enter into this process what what exactly do does blue cat provide that addresses these concerns uh, a, a variety of different things but we i mean so first of all we 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 um we ensure and this goes back to what we're talking about before around governance and compliance that only the right people can change the right things 
Um, and, and that, and, and on top of that, we provide things like DNFs firewalls. So, you know, something's bad block it with DNS. And then we get into some of the more advanced stuff as well, where we can look for and predict for things like domains that are being queried that are algorithmically generated. You, you have to uh, understand, and this is something we didn't talk about. We, we sell, our focus is really inside out. So as people access resources from within the company to out to the internet, um, we, we, we also provide the services the other way, but our, our security is very much focused on that in going out. So your employees um, or those using compute or your backend servers or your cloud deployments, um, we want to make sure that we are assessing what they're doing with DNS to look for things like domain generated algorithms or what I was talking about as well, the DNS tunneling side, like are they using DNS as the communications channel to speak to backend servers for command and control or for data exfiltration or for like a more advanced use case. So we, for that to occur, we have, we process every single DNS query and inside of large organizations, that's billions and billions and billions of queries, you know, a couple hundred billion queries a year uh, or more. And, uh, and, and we utilize that data to analyze it, to look for specific threats. So what about, can this assist, can the, uh, none of this is coming out in English. Uh, so one of the things, obviously one of the things we work about or we worry about is ransomware, right? Is this command and control thing that you talked about earlier, is that a way that ransomware gets activated? And can uh, you, can you, you know? 100%. And in fact, um, I'm going to forget the name of the specific ransomware that was hit heavily in the NHS in the UK a couple of years ago. And in fact, the, the, the gentleman who stopped it all um, was, you know, found the canary domain. So in that case, they'd actually created a kill switch for the ransomware. And the ransomware oh, yeah. looking to see if a specific domain existed in DNS. And as long as that domain did not exist, it was active. Once he registered that was the, the domain, was that the WannaCry attack? Yeah, what it shut everything down. But by and large, yeah, because ransomware is speaking to a service in the back end. So if I can figure out what it's, what DNS it uses, and and so that's what we do. We we're not Bluecat's not a company that sits here, um, you know, exploding malware and 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 trying to uh, reverse engineer ransomware. Um, but but those domain indicators are made public and uh and so both through the feeds that we subscribe to our partners as well as information that's made public we compile that all and ensure that our customers are appropriately uh sinkholing or in redirecting some way shape or form not allowing things to look up those dns entries you'll need to define sinkholing ah so i you know you you can since we could control what the response to a query is, the normal response in this case would be for that name, like, you know, ransomware.com, whatever I name, whatever DNS name I'm using, here is the IP uh -huh. address. So here's the network address that you should go to. I can change that much like we were talking about before DNS hijacking, because I am the DNS infrastructure. And so I'll change that to your sinkhole. I'll change it to somewhere where we can redirect the traffic so that you can either examine that traffic in a server that is, um, uh, you know, 
uh, partitioned off from the internet or do whatever you want with it. It's a, it's a safe way to sort of redirect that traffic. It's like, you remember Clippy from Microsoft? <laughs> yes. I'm remember, looking yeah. forward to this so analogy. Goes, you, yeah. so, so Clippy pops up and says, you appear to be activating a ransomware product. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So yeah. So that's it. That's interesting. The, the, this idea of that would be a way to, uh, and that's really interesting. I, I never really thought about DNS being a way that ransomware could be prevented. So uh, you know, that's really. I'm I'm really glad we had you on for that. That's because we spend a lot of our time helping people you know, prepare for a ransomware attack, right? To, 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 because it's like, please back up all the things and have a valid, uh, you know, DR plan. So if you get a ransomware attack, you will be able to, you know, thumb your nose to the, to the attacker and say, listen, we don't, we don't need your stupid, you know, um, encryption key because we have a valid, uh, DR system, but stopping it before it even happens, um, and because you would also be able to, I would assume if you got that, like you said, like you sinkhole it, you could then say, hey, uh, Curtis Preston's laptop keeps trying to go to activate my ransomware.com. You might want to go, you might want to yeah, stop and, 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 right, whatever he's doing. Right. Even if we just ignore it, drop it, block it, sinkhole or not, I mean, we, 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 we alert that that's happening. But you bring right. up another, another point that, 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 I want to bring up, which is in many cases, like when you hear that the ransomware is hitting like, you know, um, I don't know, like uh, whatever computers at some hospital or something. In many cases, these are, are, are single purpose or special purpose devices, meaning like you don't expect somebody to be like browsing the Internet on the device. The device exists to do a few things. A really good example of that is uh. a, point of, a point of sale system. A point of sale system queries like 23 different DNS names. If the 24th is google.com, it's compromised. Yank it out of the wall because it doesn't do that normally. So the other thing that we can do is, is basically um, uh, create a, a, uh, you know, an allow list for DNS based on what a device should be doing. And, and we can profile that so you know what it is doing today. And then at least warn you, if not just block queries outside of that allow list. And that, you know, it'd be very difficult to do that for, um, you know, somebody like me or you that that spends a lot of time just researching or going to different sites on the Internet or, or you know, uh, watching Barcelona's pregame match, which I was doing earlier today from my office computer <laughs> it, like that. Like, so, so great. You can't necessarily predict what I'm going to do, but you can certainly predict what that, you know, uh, computer in front right, of server. the nurses station is going to do, right? Or a server is going to do, or a point of sale yeah. machine is going to do, or a media controller is going to do, or any of those things. Yeah, it's like a backup server. Again, you know, I see the world through backup eyes. A backup server should never be going to Google.com either, right? And if right. it is, then that should be a thing. And it's like, oh, well, Curtis is trying to figure out where to get this patch. Fine let let this happen right now but normally that should not be happening and so again uh, something i never thought about yeah i i actually speaking of random googling i found myself uh in one of those uh rat holes earlier because of bocas del, del dragon uh which i got from your website uh apparently it's 
the the three i the the Bocas Islands the between Trinidad and Venezuela. This is another thing that comes up when you Google for DDI. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, it, it it stands for down the islands. Uh, ah. By the way, I I, I apologize to anyone who was offended by my attempt to accent. do that accent. Yeah, that accent was uh, pretty awful, Curtis. I gotta say. But uh, yeah. yeah, well, you know, what could I do? Uh, but yeah, so apparently one of them is the Bo- Bocas del Dragon, which is you know ma- mouths of dragons, which is kind of cool. Anyway, yeah, so I. You, you never know what's going to be Googled on my computer, yeah. I guess is what, what I'm saying. <laughs> so um, well, this has been fascinating. Uh, uh, you know, to be honest, when I first when I first heard it, was like, DDI is like DNS. Oh, that's just not, <laughs> not, up, not up my alley, you know. But, uh, you know, we started talking some more. And uh, the, the person who was, uh, you know, uh, lobbying on your behalf to have you on our podcast did a, did a good job of of convincing me that this would be relevant and it was very relevant. And I'm super glad that we had you on the podcast. Super. Yeah. Uh, and Dana can be persistent. The, the, uh, no, look, Frank, I'm going to tell you something about me, you know, six and a half years ago when I was considering coming to blue cat, I, I thought exactly what you just did. I was like, wait a second, DDI DNS. I, I know these technologies. I've used them as a technologist. I, I've worked around problems with them writing client server software in like the 90s. Um, mm-hmm. It's always existed. I had never considered fully um, how it was used, why it was used, what the challenges were around it, and 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 why it was a market. And, and so the more I researched about it, the more excited I got about it, because you just think about the explosion of devices out there, and you think about what's happening with, with with networks and compute and cloud migrations, and this underlying technology is um, is stressed like crazy. And uh, so it, it's actually um, a super exciting business to be in. It probably why I, I went off that soliloquy that that uh, got a little bit too technical. But it's 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 um, it, it's an exciting place. But I completely understand why somebody outside would be a little bit you know, probably think about DNS like I think about backup. I was going to say thinking about DNS as the fact that, hey, I just turn on the water at home and water comes out the pipe. Right. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> how did it actually go there? And how did, what's the distance? And how did all of that happen? No one ever thinks of that, right? Right. You only care when you turn on the faucet, you hear a couple knocks and nothing comes out. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And and backup is like the drain. So it's even, right. it's even <laughs> less sexy than the DNS. But uh <laughs> Yeah. So, hey, to, you know, to to somebody in an underappreciated area of IT to another person uh, in an underappreciated area of IT. Thank you uh, so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's great talking to you guys. And again, uh, Persona or Mr. Hare, as I'm, <laughs> I I'm just, you know, I'm just jealous of your, of know. your you know, know. Whole head of hair. You love my That's locks. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so th- thanks for thanks for hanging out again. <laughs> I always learn something new, Curtis. Come on. It's fine. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. And thanks to our listeners. And uh, we hope that you picked up a, a, a you know piece of info here and there. I know I did uh, almost as much as in the last podcast where I found myself, my brain hurting just as much as it did now. So make sure to subscribe so that you can restore it all. System isn't worth a spit. Finally, I needed your backup. You had.
chance to fix it instead it's all jacked up see how i'll write on facebook about you don't underestimate the things that i will do there was a file but i deleted it too bad your backup system isn't worth the space It'll be completely done Maybe 